Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me, <laughs> Tim Harridge. How are you, my friend? I am so fantastic. Good to see you. You too. Oh man, I'm so honored to meet you, though. Like honestly, what we met at the Family Mastermind yep. about eight nine months ago, which has been incredible. And like immediately, I was drawn to. You. I think the first night. I had dinner with you and like a whole gang. Yeah, and- yeah, the big uh, the Charlie's Steakhouse. Yeah, it was. yeah, we were there and we ordered way more food than we could <laughs> ever possibly eat. You know, ate with our eyes for sure. And I just remember connecting with you, and I'm like, man, Tim is just like a genius. I need to know more of Tim. And it's like <laughs> such an awesome, awesome person. And I'm just so excited to have you here today and like really hear your journey because I've heard bits and pieces of it as we've always been chatting right. about the mastermind and then like a little bit today. So I just can't wait to get into that tim truly but like my biggest question for you to start with and this is gonna be a loaded one you ready yeah <laughs> what inspired you on your journey to where you are today i think family or a lack thereof mm. would really be probably what's always driven me the direction i go can you elaborate on yeah, that a little bit more yeah yeah i didn't know if there was another loaded question yeah you know yeah I, mean? I grew up divorced family mom that worked all the time older brother Three boys, I'm the middle one. You know, if you know any middle child, like we're always, everything's our fault. And my dad moved away when I was young because of a relocation. And I just always longed for like, I wanted to be normal, right? Like I think a lot of kids do, right? And then there was another divorce in high school. My stepdad, who had kind of raised me, like turned out to be just crazy person. There was one episode where I walked him out of the house with a shotgun to his head. You know, just not fun. And we were at a party. I didn't graduate high school on time. Graduated out of summer school because I had attendance issues. My grandfather died. Oh, but talk about tragedy. My senior year in high school, my grandfather dies. My best friend blows his head off. One of my friends gets killed in a lightning strike on the football field. And my mom and my stepdad get divorced. And that was within three months. Oh, my God. And so, like, the second half of the year, I was an S-head and, like, just skipped every class. So, finally graduated in, in summer school. We're at this party, and this guy had come back from the Navy, and he was uh, wearing, you know, his uniform, pulling all the chicks. And my buddy's like, dude, we need to join the Navy, <laughs> right? And so, he's, he's a year older than me. My mom ended up marrying his dad, too. He's a year older than me. So he's been hanging around town even longer than me is like a has been. Yeah. And I was like, dude, if I joined anything, I'd join the Marine Corps like my grandpa. And he goes, fine, let's do that. And within 24 hours, I had joined the Marine Corps. Uh, And then the funny part is, is like it got down to swearing in and I'd already pledged to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Uh, And I look around and my buddy's not in the room. And I go out in the hall and there he is. And he'd been medically disqualified. (laughs) right before the swearing in for high blood pressure. So to begin my time in the Marine Corps, I was on the buddy program without a buddy. (laughs) And they don't let you take that oath back. You don't, you're 18 and you don't get to say, you know what? Never mind. My buddy Brian doesn't get to come. (laughs) I was on the bus the next day. I mean, that's, that's kind of where the lack of family came from. And then five years, super lonely in the military, deployed, 
17 countries in less than five years wow. uh, to include uh, Kosovo and yeah. Montenegro and Croatia, kind of the same neck of the woods where your family's from. And I just remember one day I looked in the mirror and I did not know the dude looking back at me. Sergeant Harridge was in the mirror. Tim Harridge had disappeared. Wow. And I just always dreamed of having a family. And so I got out of the Marine Corps and tripped into real estate on accident, put my resume on a website, got hired as a project manager for a flipper here in Dallas. Wow. And uh, now I run a company that we've done well over a billion dollars in sales this year, and we're on our way to uh, two. Oh my goodness. Well, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. Holy crap, Tim. That's amazing. That is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah. I think first and foremost, thank you for your service. Thank you. Seriously. I mean, it's just your trajectory is is insane. It's the but best I, thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm telling you. Well, it's hilarious to me how you saw that guy in the Navy suit getting all the chicks up. <laughs> Marine the uniforms here. work better than the Navy uniforms. I'll just say ah, that. <laughs> we can always have that debate, right? <laughs> I always hear that. That like all, all my friends who are in like different services, they're like, Mine is way nicer than yours. And they just like get into it with one yeah, another. It's why don't hilarious. you please put a poll underneath this episode online? <laughs> and I guarantee you Marine Corps dress blues wins hands down. Uh-oh. <laughs> and plus you guys have the you have the, that ball and that gala oh, yeah. and all the stuff. Toys for tots. You go hang out in the mall and like, yeah, baby, I'm volunteering my time to help children. <laughs> And I'm a Marine. Like, it's no contest. Every Marine I've ever met is, like, the most incredible person. <laughs> Seriously, such an amazing group. Two of the most common denominators of Fortune 500 CEOs is they either played college football or they were in the Marine, United States Marine Marines. Corps. Discipline. It's a level of discipline and consistency that... And accountability, which I consider to be the fundamental flaw in American society. Correct. Is a lack of accountability. A hundred percent. Because you can say things, but then you don't do things. And then if you go, don't get held accountable for that. It's what happens at the end? Someone else's fault. Always. So now as a kid, Tim, to reel it back just a little bit, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was I wanted your dream? to be a Texas Ranger. Texas Ranger. Well, actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a preacher. Huh. My dad was a preacher before he got divorced, which back then the Southern Baptist, you know, that was over. I just always loved church. It was like the one place we went every week where there was just love and acceptance. And I always wanted to be a part of that. Then I wanted to be, you know, the typical high school male in Texas. I thought I was going to play for the Dallas Cowboys. And then as I got into my teenage years, my adolescent, late adolescent years, I wasn't a very nice person. I mean, I put my mom through a lot. My older brother, I, God, I don't even know. He's probably got 10 or 15 felonies at this point in his life. In and out of prison more than he's been not out of prison. And he was my hero growing up though. Cause my dad was gone. My stepdad was gone. Yeah. So that was hard to watch when you were growing up. Like, I mean, I've seen him dead multiple times. Yeah. Multiple. Multiple. <laughs> how, did, how did he come back from that? Heroin. Heroin overdoses wow. and people keep reviving him. Wow. You figure there's a purpose for him still on the earth. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, at some point I really didn't want to do anything other than just be a drunk and you know, run around my hometown and try to pick up chicks. And then I joined the Marine Corps, like I said, on a whim. Yeah. Uh, when I got out of the Corps, I was going to be a state trooper, then a Texas Ranger. And then I had to make money. So sold some life insurance for a year. Wow. Got recruited by one of the boiler room operations. It was like, you know, an appointment setter. And then they, they sent you all around. I tell this story a lot to my boys because they got to understand. Yes. I've been the guy sitting at the Sprint PCS store, going through my truck, trying to find enough change to get my phone turned back on mm. so I could call and borrow money for gas to get home. 
And that experience probably still limits me in some ways, but it also makes it where there's just nothing I could encounter I can't beat. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about that is like you remember those moments and I think it puts you in more of a state of gratitude now at this point in time at, at what you've achieved, right? Because how insane is it to be self-aware of like, wow, this is who I want, was once before and to, here I am now. But see, Pam, to me and what I've seen in this world, that's not even the thing that helps me be grateful. When we were in Indonesia and Operation Stabilize, we were liberating East Timor from the Indonesian government, well, actually from the West Timor. Anyway, we pull up, there's 15, 20 Marines. We secure the beachhead, the area where our vehicles are landing on the boat, from the boat. And uh, there's this little boy walking up to us. And as you've probably seen in movies, hopefully never seen in real life, there's like these countries where they outfit these kids with IEDs and they get them to walk up to the troops and blow them up. And this kid's coming at us and we're screaming at him and he doesn't understand English and I mean, our rules would have allowed us to shoot him, mm. this eight-year-old kid. Wow. And he comes up, and I was a sergeant. I was a, I was a corporal in charge of the patrol. I said, you know, hold your fire. He's making motions towards his mouth. My uh, lance corporal pulls out a cracker, these MRE crackers. They're four-inch by four-inch crackers that you would not eat on a bad day. And that little boy broke it in half and then broke the halves in half and ran back to share it with his siblings. So I remember that all the time because imagine being willing to face down U.S. Marines with weapons pointed at you, screaming because you're so hungry and you're willing to face that to feed your brothers and sisters. So yeah, there's no such thing as a bad day in Rockwall, Texas. No, no. Wow. I just got chills everywhere, right? When you I still get chills. I, I, I remember the feeling. I remember the smells. I remember the patheticness of everyone that ever complains in this country. Yeah. Because even that day standing outside the the Sprint PCS store trying to find change to turn my phone back on, no one was going to shoot me. Right. 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 I could have walked over to the Jason Deli. I remember it because I actually ended up hanging out there waiting and sat inside in the air conditioning and not been shot or blown up by a landmine. Albania has landmine problems. Croatia has landmine. Like... So when I hear someone, and, and I'm not a political person, I don't yeah. like any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's my personal opinion. Same. When I hear an American complaining about America, number one, I feel grateful that we live in a country that allows them to do that without persecution or prosecution. But number two, I also want to punch them in the mouth and tell them to go somewhere else. So right, right. <laughs> I, have, I have split feelings, right? Well, I, mean, I respect seen, them, but I also want to hit them. So. Well, yeah, because you've seen what it's like on the other side and how the other world lives. And I mean, I was in the Dominican Republic on a service trip back in 2009 in high school. And like that changed my life forever. We were there building houses. And like I remember one day we visited a dump, a dump, a literal dump. Right. And there was people there picking. And guess what? Those people that we met there. They were the happiest, most grateful, kindest people. And like you would see that they would pick through and find metal, metal tabs and cans and stuff and create bracelets and things out of it. And I just will never forget the joy there because I'm like, I have nothing, absolutely nothing to complain about. My life would never be this right and here we are complaining wi-fi isn't that fast or this or you know <laughs> my 12 year old dad the wi-fi is lagging i, know. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> yeah you're just like oh. just, 
I just shut it off. I'm yeah. Like, oh, we could play outside. <laughs> I know. Go in your safe million dollar neighborhood. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it's gratitude, I think, is something that allows me to weather a lot of storms. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I find really respectable about you is like you. So when you looked in the mirror, you described that moment that you looked in the mirror and basically you couldn't, you didn't know who that person was on the other side. Like what? sparked that self-realization because sometimes we go through life and we don't pay attention for a long time but if someone's unhappy who's listening right now or knows somebody who is right i was at the precipice of a decision my i was up for re-enlistment right Mm -hmm. it was the end of my initial term and they were offering me a fifty thousand dollar tax-free lump sum re-enlistment bonus because we were in a combat zone and there was this thing where if i signed the papers on a in a certain area it was all tax-free and lump sum. And my mom was telling me, please come home. We miss you, which made me want to stay. My dad was telling me I should stay, which made me want to come home. <laughs> That's the kind of person I am. And my dad's like, son, you could retire when you're 38 and have a whole nother career. And I was thinking, well, that sounds awful. And my mom's like, you can come home and get into real estate because she was a real estate broker. Mm. And I was like, well, that sounds awful. Oh, for two. <laughs> <laughs> but I did miss my brothers, uh, specifically my younger brother, who's absolutely my best friend in the world. I just remember I was standing in front of the sink on the ship in the Mediterranean Sea, actually the Adriatic Sea. And I looked in the mirror and I mean, this is high and tight, horseshoe, flat top, you know, sleek jawline, camouflage. I could run three miles in 15 minutes. I mean... I was the the Marines Marine. I was Marine of the Quarter all the time, meritoriously promoted. I would have had a fantastic career. I'm 44. I would have been retired by now. I, I have no doubt I would have made it to the highest levels of enlistment. But that mean SOB that was looking back at me is not the boy that my grandfather raised. It was not who I wanted to be. They were telling me I had to be overseas even more because I was so experienced in intelligence and counterintelligence. Yeah. It was right after uh, bin Laden had uh, uh, just attacked the USS Cole, and we had been at port with her the week before. So I was just burned out. And so it was looking in the mirror, but also kind of feeling the weight of your heart almost. I know that sounds like really... Yeah. No, about, I love but that. Like I felt the weight of my heart, and I did not like the person looking back at me. And, I, and Texas is just always where I've wanted to be, so I, I got back home. That's amazing. That's amazing. I just love that you made that decision and you just stuck with it and then followed your heart and basically came home because what would the consequences have been had you not done that, right? Well, yeah, because the next year was one of the worst of my life because I, I get out and military really does not do a good job preparing young men and women to take care of themselves beyond the service, which is why that's I give a lot of money to our veterans and to sick children. Like, those are two people I feel really sorry for. I don't feel sorry for veterans. I want to support. Overdrawn all the time in my bank account. Because in the military, everybody that gives you credit or, or whatever, they get you to fill out the form where they can just deduct it from your paycheck. Right? So for five years, I never had to pay a single bill. Mm. They just took it out of my paycheck and whatever was left, they gave to me in my bank. And you go pull the cash out of the ATM and go spend it on beer and then eat, <laughs> eat in the chow hall when you ran out of money. Uh <laughs> That was like, that was four years, right? And so when you look back, that was in 2001 when I got out, right before 9-11. I'm living at, in an apartment with an old military buddy of mine who ended up taking his life and 9-11 happened. 
And I'm sitting there and on the couch and we're both in the intelligence community. So we know exactly what's going on. I was immediately recalled, had to drive to the base in Fort Worth. My major called me from my last unit and he was like, we're first up. We need you to get back. And I said, get me orders. I'm on my way. Because at that point, I really wish I'd stayed in because like I was going nowhere. I was like, very separation's hard. Separation yeah. from the military is hard. But uh, the colonel in the reserve unit put me in what's called a mission critical billet where I couldn't be activated. But yeah, my old unit, my last active duty unit was one of the first ones into Afghanistan. Life would have been a lot different had I not gotten out. Right. Imagine that. Like, I just, I always say you're one decision away from changing your whole life. Yeah. Right? Like, and so choose carefully, right? And be very intentional with what, with what you want. So you mentioned that you got into project management. That was your first job yep. kind of out of it for a real estate developer. Militaryhire.com. Really? Yep. Militaryhire.com. That's why just... I put my resume out there. The one thing they did teach us was how to do a resume when we got out. <laughs> and I got hired as a pro... Well, first I got recruited for a life insurance sales company. And that lasted yeah. like eight months and it was awful. I mean, just... <laughs> 20-hour days, driving two or 300 miles, and you'd met. But that's where I got my first taste of a commission check. Mm. Like the second month, I made like six grand in a week. Ooh. And they had it where you turned everything in like on Wednesday and got paid on Friday kind of thing. And I just remember that six Gs tasted Real good. sweet. Because in, <laughs> in the Marine Corps, when I finally got out, I made $1,810 a month before tax. Oh, God. If I went to combat, it was tax-free and got an extra $100 in combat pay. Yes. Yeah, beer money. I mean, that's <laughs> that's been very consequential at that time, at that age. So when I made six grand, that is when I decided. So I can't knock life insurance all because that's when I decided that no one will ever tell me what my time is worth again. Mm. That I would always have upside, and I have always had upside and equity in everything I've done from that moment forward. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So walk me through. So you went to. Life insurance, and then you went to the project manager. Yeah, life insurance, and then it was run by some people that are not from America that did not really care much about 9-11. And uh, I'll just say I, I almost got arrested when they told me that they didn't care what had happened, that I was going to come to work. The oh Marine God. Corps wasn't all the way out of my blood yet. It still isn't, never will be. <laughs> but yeah, so I put my resume back on militaryhire.com. I met a guy named Tim, worked for him for a year. I told him I wanted to buy rent houses because I've been reading and watching the RIAs and yeah. the late night commercials. And I decided that owning assets, owning real estate was going to be the way that I would be able to take care of my family. And I guess Carlton Sheets is to blame for that because the late night infomercials when you're oh, sitting yeah. there drinking a beer with nothing to do, smoking a cigarette, like, uh, yeah, I mean, so I just, and I started going to RIA meetings anyway. So worked for them a year. And they were like, nah, we're not going to let you do that with us anymore. And I was like, all right, fine. I'm leaving. Went and worked for a Homevestors, the Ugly House People mm, franchise here in Dallas. The Ugly House People. <laughs> That's the name of the company. We buy the houses. Um, worked for a guy named Bobby Rome for a year. Same deal. He said, if I did do it for a year, we'd start buying rentals together. Because again, I didn't have money, credit, advice. Yeah. I didn't have a dad really to that thought right. that way, right? My dad was like, go get a job, get a salary, invest in the stock market. One day you'll be able to retire. Right. And worry about money. Dad, I love you. But after a year, I made him number one in the nation of all the Homevestors franchises. I bought 111 houses in the first year. Yeah. Uh, and then he didn't take me to convention, which is where they give the awards. So I was like, I quit while he was gone. <laughs> See ya. I, I've just, I've always stood 
principle above all else, even to my own detriment. <laughs> and my wife was like, couldn't you have like thought about anyway? Uh, so I, you know, I left there and I went and sat down with a hard money lender here in Dallas. And I said, I'm, I've got some money saved up. Uh, I want to go out on my own. He goes, I've been watching the way you work. Let's partner up and you can use all my money. I was like, sold. We, we built a portfolio of 63 owner finance notes that year. That was in 04. Wow. And then 05, I've got the assignment of contract hanging in my wife, Jennifer, just framed it for me. In 05, this lady calls me up and says, well, I got your name from Kitty. She got that sweet Southern draw. Uh, hi. That, that, <laughs> she hooked me on a high. Uh, oh, she's not listening. She'd be like, I can't believe you told this. Way. Anyway, she had this house that she needed to assign and she had never assigned houses before. She was a new Homevestors franchise. I was like, send me the address. I'll go look at it. So I went and looked at it and she had it way underpriced. I was like, I'll take it. You'll love this. I had my office fax her an assignment. Fax. <laughs> so the one hanging up in my office still has the fax header on it. Oh, like my, my kids, uh, I, I was trying to explain it to them. They're like, I don't understand why you typed it up there. Like it's not, it was, <laughs> it was a header on a fax. Anyway, so the joke is she made like $3,500 selling it to me. Well, I sold it to another investor for eight G's. So the joke is we got married to keep it all in the family. Uh, <laughs> but I operated my other company for about another year and then took a payout, which turned out to be great timing. Because in 08, there wasn't many, there weren't many payouts to be had. Mm -hmm. We almost lost it all in 08. I mean, it, it was, and we almost lost our marriage. It was tough. And then we had another son in 09, which tells you we didn't lose our marriage. But, you know, uh, it, it was tough. But, and, and this was probably my first instance of dialing back and going into my shell professionally. And I, in 07, I had done 143 flips. I, and, and I don't mean for other people. I mean, we bought, I fixed, we sold, I mean, millions a month coming in and out. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> but up until then we were like, up until the subprime crash, we were making just a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, I was 26 and lived in a $2 million house. Like, it was just nuts, but we paid for that. No way. Right. right. In 09 and 10, I didn't do much. I just kind of like sold vacant rent houses on owner finance and cried, but we worked our way out of it. Ended up with no foreclosures and preserved our relationships and did it the hard way. She became an REO agent for wow. foreclosure companies. And then I started this little company. I'm going to start talking faster. I know I'm going on and on. I started this little company called the REI Expo, which was, I missed the Homevestors conventions, mm. the networking, the annual, because I got a lot of energy from that. Right. And like people right. were so willing to share. And I was yeah. telling you earlier, I'm just such an intentional listener. Like yeah. if you're talking, I'm listening, even yeah. though I'm not right now. <laughs> but, uh, so I started and I was like, I was going to be a trade show for real estate investors. First year we had 200 people and a magazine guy was like, dude, I love what you're doing. We need to take this national. I said, no, it's gonna be in Dallas. Well, the next year in Dallas, we go from 200, 220 to four to 440. We doubled and he's like, you need to take this national. So I'll tell you what, we'll go to Houston. 2012, we go down to Houston. It was okay. And then in 2013, I did Dallas, Baltimore, Chicago, and Anaheim. And uh, we had, in 2013, in the Dallas show, we had 800. Wow. And so we had doubled year over year over year. And we had two or 300 in each one of the other shows, but it was first year and that was on right. plan, right? Well, through the expo in January... A lady that spoke was an attorney that did the contracts for the five-star expo, which is here in Dallas. 
she told the conference organizer I was a good speaker and ran a great conference and he should get me to speak. Through that speech, I met the guys that started Invitation Homes for Blackstone and they were just getting ready to start a lending company. And this guy named Nick, who was the founder, comes up to me afterwards and he's from London. So I have to say it properly. He goes, uh, so we're working on a project and we need your help. Uh, <laughs> and I had no idea who he was. I almost didn't go speak at this conference wow. because it was out of my league. It was something I'd never done before. Nobody wants to hear me. I'm still hanging on to these things in my past, right? Like I'm just this idiot redneck. I don't have a degree. These are Fannie mm. Mae executives and all that. Uh, but I went and I had my Marine Corps coin in my, po in my pocket. I still have the picture of that day uh, where I took a picture of it and said, you know, uh, doing big things today. I, I carry that coin a lot. And I gave a great speech. And two weeks later, I flew to Manhattan and had a 30 minute meeting. And left, and I called my wife. I'm like, I'm done. She's like, well, What did you do wrong? I, I don't know. But that's just the way they have meetings at that. I mean, the velocity of money when you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars, they don't take long to make decisions. Mm -hmm. They knew that I would run their company when I walked in the room, mm. five or six words in. So anyway, they, they sent me down back on a plane, and I'm like, Honey, I don't know. I guess I screwed it up. You know, and I'm blaming myself. Redneck Tim couldn't get it done. Mm -hmm. You know. A month later, I'm flying all over the world, running the multi-billion dollar company for them and ran that for a couple years, then took a couple years off. I was telling you earlier, I should not have done that. Uh, really lowered my level of thinking, hanging out with my sons and my contractors, you know, I mean, just not a whole lot of high level thought going on at a rehab project, you know, right, right. Uh, but we took Finance of America public last year. I got to participate kind of in a public offering. That was fun. And uh, here we are. I met Jeff Tesh at RCN Capital, the CEO. I've been borrowing money from him for about six years now. It's amazing. And he called me and said, help me run this thing. And I said, all right. And so it's been so amazing the last 12 months to be back into billion dollar conversations. We've done well over a billion this year. And it's done so much for me that now I'm literally moving out of the residential real estate space into a commercial and a multifamily syndication personally, mm. not RCN because I've decided I'm, I'm going to be a billionaire. Yes. Um, I remember when I became a millionaire, we celebrated. I remember when we ended up realizing that we were worth 10 million. It was an accident because we just kept doing what you know, you're doing. People don't understand to take a thousand to a million is a thousand times to take a million to a billion is a thousand times. Mm. It's, it, it's, it's math. Yeah. And to get to 10 million was like an accident. And now we actually participate or own in about a hundred million dollars worth of assets. Wow. And when you start looking at that, I'm only 44, God willing, my health maintains. I should be probably have a, about a hundred million dollar net worth in the next six to eight years. And if I do that and I just keep leveling up and growing and I keep my mind engaged, I know like as long as God lets me live to 60 or 65, I'll be a billionaire. Amen, Tim. And the more I say that, the more it actually feels like I'm supposed to say it. Amen. The more it feels like, I mean, it's just like a given now. Absolutely. Told my wife, told my kids, told a crowd full of people and just said it on the number one podcast in the world. <laughs> That's it. Amen. Well, it's intention, right? At the end yeah. of the day, and you've been able to stay consistent, stay accountable, stay on all of this. And you asked me this question earlier, which is like, what would be the number one thing in your experience that you would say, if I didn't do this, none of this would have ever happened. 
for me, it was the restaurants. And I think for you, it's Marine Corps. Absolutely. The United States Marine Corps is the world's finest fighting force. It's where I learned all men are created equal. Yeah. There's Same no amount of hours. There's no room for racism or bigotry. The drill instructors would tell you, well, there's light green and there's dark green Marines, but you're all Marines and you all bleed red. So you better figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it's such a powerful organization. It taught me so much about leadership. Yeah. It taught me so much about accountability. The 14 leadership traits of the United States Marine Corps, are justice, judgment, decisiveness, integrity, dependability, tact, accountability, courage, knowledge, loyalty, and endurance. And uh, JJ did tie buckle. You know, those things, if you can master those and they become a part of who you are, you can, you can do anything. Oh, absolutely. And I think they fully integrated into who you are today and why you're going to take yourself to the billion dollar mark. So I'm going to mark this conversation today so that when you get there, I'm going to be like, Tim, I want to be at that celebration when that happens. You just got to beat me there. <laughs> together, I hope. I hope we're both popping bottles together and making that happen, Tim. Seriously. And this is my favorite question. For you. You ready for this one? I am. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? So this is a two-part answer. Mm. I've been getting this question a lot lately. The answer would be one more. And I don't know if you've read Ed Milet's new book, The Power of One More. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing because it's what I've been saying for a year as my answer. And then his book goes like 25 levels deep. If I kept one more house every year, just one more, not one more than planned, I would have an additional $10 million worth of net worth. Hmm. today. Wow. If I'd kept one more house out of every one I sold wholesaled, I'd probably be worth $20 million more. Wow. If I kept one more house for every house I had the opportunity to bid on, I'd probably already be a billionaire. Like I'm, I'm just, people don't understand the power of compounded effort and the Marine Corps <laughs> back to them. We had these big five ton trucks. And the joke was always people say, how many more Marines fit in there? And the joke was one more, but it's actually almost an underlying mentality of abundance, right? Like, don't mm -hmm. worry, we can fit you in. We got you. So yeah, if 44 year old Tim could talk to 24 year old Tim, he'd say, dude, live as cheap as you can and stack assets. I mean, Pam, mine and my wife's por rental portfolio has gone up 180% in the last 10 years. No, I'm sorry, the last five years. It's like 230% the last 10 years. Wow. If I had been stacking assets instead of fighting to survive in 07 and 08, I mean, I'd be the guy they were writing about in the Wall Street Journal. Mm. And not that I, that's not some sort of validation. I'm just right. trying to say, like, it wouldn't have been Blackstone they were talking about. It would have been some guy named Tim from Rockwell, Texas, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it's, it's one more. One more hello, one more goodbye, one more I love you, one more house. That book that I, of Ed's, I met him last week, which was an awesome thing for me. Wow. Uh, it, it, it really speaks to what I, w I had already decided. To, but simplistically, I'd say one more house a year would be the biggest thing. I would tell Tim, and I'd tell Tim, you know, find a way to do one more of everything, too, if you can. I love it, Tim. Thank you so much for that. And so what's up in your world in the next, like, 6 to 12 months? One more house, <laughs> one more company, one more billion. Like, one more billion. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like we've done well over a billion at RCN Capital this year. We do we loan loans for real estate investors. Yeah. It's kind of my full time focus right now. I need to get to two billion this year, all right, because I need to get to five billion next year, and I need to get to ten billion the year after that. Mm. So yeah, one more, one more billion, one more. Uh, and then you know because it's a struggle to get to two billion this year in a, in a crazy interest rate environment. 
But I literally can envision a time in the next two years where we're doing well over $2 billion a quarter. Mm. And then I see us merging with a REIT or going public. I don't know. I mean, we've proven ourselves as a, we can deploy capital. Mm. And, we, and, and we do it with great integrity. And we have a great reputation in the industry. And that's something we're very proud of. So uh, I think that's, you know, I, I am looking for ways to deploy $100 million at a time type stuff. Nice. And that's going to happen, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, without a, without a oh. doubt in my mind. You said it. It's going to happen. Oh, I look at it every morning. It's amazing. I look at it every morning. That's my only focus is how can I get to $2 Because if we get to $2 billion, then five is the target. Mm-hmm. But we don't, I'm not the kind of guy that misses targets. You won't. <laughs> now, Tim, you've got to let everyone know where to find you. Where, where can everyone find you, Tim? You know, just find a way to spell my name. Uh, Tim Harridge. It's H-E-R-R-I-G-E. And I'm at Tim Harridge on all the social media platforms because I'm the only one there is. I, I think there may be another one or two, but they're just like, they've given up. They're, I think they go by Timothy now. Now, so I, I, am I, I'm even on TikTok. You're on TikTok? Yeah, my kids make fun of me. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to uh, see that. Yeah, so RCN Capital is easy to find. At Tim Harridge. I'm a struggling, what am I, Gen X? or whatever? I don't know. I, was, I want to be a millennial, <laughs> millennial. When, it comes to, when it comes to social media. <laughs> I think it's powerful. I mean, just the way yeah. people, God, if I'd had that, oh. Mm -hmm. We didn't have YouTube. Like I had to wait until the third Thursday of the month and go to the RIA and sit there for five hours with the yelling and selling from the stage, you know, on the archaic bulletin boards, <laughs> trying to get someone to help you. And oh my God, like it's a whole new world. People don't understand. Like they can be where I am in 10 years instead of 20. Mm -hmm. And that's frankly, I think if they're lazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean the, the speed of technology these days, yeah. right? And Tim, you're amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Like, such an honor to have Tim here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, I'm Tim. I'm impressed by what you've done, and I hope to be a part of it once you outrun me. No, we're going to do it together. <laughs> that's the best way. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is over time, working like some underdogs. Underdogs.